Hey, what's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, your host here on Felony Friday, and I want to try something new. Um, don't have an ad for you here or anything like that, but I have a request. So I want to try something with Apple Podcast reviews. Um, they're very important in podcasts, and they help you get more attention and eyeballs on your podcast. You get in the, uh, you know, you rank up in the categories, all that stuff. So I would like people to give five-star reviews. So I'm going to reward people who give us five-star reviews, review the podcast, say something nice, and then if after you do that, if you drop either a topic you'd like me to talk about, a question, and ask me anything, you know, you can ask me a random question, and I will address it on the show if it's if it's appropriate. But you can drop that after your five-star rating and your review, put what you want to talk about there on the show I will talk about it, and um, and it helps the show. It helps you influence the show. It's a uh, it's a win win. So please consider doing that. Make sure, even if you listen on you know Spotify or Overcast or whatever, do it on Apple Podcast. They have the most control right now, so do it there, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right, thank you very much. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, where you can subscribe on any app out there, any podcasting app. Just go to Lions of Liberty podcast, hit subscribe, leave us a review like I talk about at the top of the show. Best if you leave that review on Apple Podcasts because that is where the the algorithm really does the most uh, damage in a good way, as they say. I'm not going to read through any reviews today. I'm going to save it for next week because I have a long interview today with an awesome guest with uh, Rufus Rochelle and Amy Pova. Rufus telling his story of serving 32 years years, three decades in prison. And get this, the prosecutors had zero drugs, found zero drugs, zero drug transactions, all entirely based on hearsay, ghost dope evidence, ghost dope testimony, as they say. So completely absurd, completely ridiculous. Rufus is a fantastic guy. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. I don't want to delay anymore. So let's just get right to it. Okay, my guest today on Felony Friday is Rufus Rochelle. Uh, Rufus walked out of FCI Coleman just this past April. On April 24th, uh, the BOP gave him home confinement. In 1988, he was sentenced to 40 years and eight months for conspiracy with intent to distribute 50 grams or more of crack with possession with, with intent of the same amount and obstruction of justice. Prior to that, he only had very minor infractions. So Rufus is here today to uh, to share his story. Rufus, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, to you, uh, John, and the, uh, the audience that's listening to you. My name is Rufus Rochelle, you know, and uh, as you previously stated, you know, I got uh, arrested May the 31st, 1988, you know, and uh, my case probably is the... Uh, considered one of the oldest uh, crack cocaine cases uh, in the United States where individual is still primarily in, in custody, you know, because 
I'm uh, on home confinement, which I was uh, released on on uh, the 3rd of April, the 24th, uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, to home confinement. And uh, I presently have a, uh, one of the, uh, the, the uh, boxes on my, my ankle, ankle boxes on my ankle, you know, right now, you know. So that would substantiate being in custody because I have to call in each and every uh, day, each and every day, you know, to and uh, at night also uh, to the uh, center, you know, to verify my whereabouts. But uh, anyway, uh, as you stated, I was arrested. I mean, as I previously stated, I was arrested uh, May the 31st, 1988, and I was never in possession of a single grain of drugs, no wiretap, no undercover buy, no surveillance, uh, nothing of that nature, you know. And uh, I went to trial, you know. I was offered a a plea of uh, eight years back in 1988, you know, uh, prior to trial. And I rejected the plea because I was never in possession of any drugs. And I pursued it to trial, you know, based on the uh, evidence that was uh, alleged in the uh, jury instruction and based on the indictment uh, also in the the verdict form. You know, the judge uh, previously, you know, read the instruction to the jury. I was, as I stated, I was indicted on for conspiracy, as you stated, conspiracy with intent to distribute 50 grams or more of crack cocaine. Mm Mm-hmm. Were, were, one, you, were, were you indicted? Was it just you, or was it a uh, was it a group? No, I had uh, co-defendants also. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it was five other individuals indicted on the uh, indictment, stemming from the Northern District of Florida, the Gainesville, Florida division. You know, okay. and uh, as previously, you know, uh, as stated, the indictment alleged uh, fifty grams or more of crack cocaine. That's count one conspiracy. And count two was possession with intent to distribute 50 grams or more. And uh, even when the, uh, the trial began, the judge instructed the jurors that they could only find us guilty of 50 grams or more, you know, within that range. And uh, anyway, he instructed the juror in t- accordance to the uh, juror instruction. Then he came back and... Uh, in terms of the indictment, read the indictment that in terms of what we were charged with, 50 grams or more in the possession with intent to distribute 50 grams or more. Then uh, the jury reached a verdict eventually, you know, on the 50 grams or more. But here's the thing. Even after I was sentenced, as I previously stated, I was never, ever in possession of a single grain of drug, no wiretap, no undercover by no surveillance, even if they had to bring a uh, forensic uh, to test whatever drugs there were, mm-hmm. uh, they would never be able to test any because there were no drugs. It was what we was tried on primarily was ghost drugs, you know, meaning there's no drugs. And uh, so, so, so the jury found me guilty. So, so, so of, where, uh, where did the where do the ghost drugs for people out there listening? Ghost drugs—that's people who are testifying, saying, you know, yeah. such and such. Uh, yeah. R- R- Rufus sold me this much, or, or whatever. So, were any of those people your co-defendants, or were they? No, 
No, yeah. what they did was uh, this was the uh, during that time frame, uh, University of Florida had a, a scandal, you know, drug scandal, with uh, involving their star basketball player Vernon Maxwell, you know, who played. I think he played with Philadelphia and possibly Houston. And he alleged that, uh, you know, each time he was outside of the campus, he tested positive for drugs assembly, you know. And uh, when he was on campus, he never tested positive for drugs. So they uh, confronted, from what we found out, they confronted him and wanted to know who he was getting drugs from, you know, who was this connection, I guess, the got with him and other basketball players there at the University of Florida. And uh, anyway, he informed them that he was getting drugs from a gentleman by the name of Ice, Ice, you know, and others. So not knowing one Ice from the other, they pulled my first cousin, Willie Ice Reed, he had it's the same ice. They call him Iceberg. He had the same similar name to the person that Vernon Maxwell was alleged, and others was alleged. And so they pulled him in my car, my Saab. I had a Saab uh, Turbo, and they took pictures of my car and uh, took uh, pictures of my license plate. And so uh, anyway, uh, they found out someone alleged that this is the ice that they were speaking of, you know. So, therefore, that's where they weaved all of us together, my cousin and I. They made them empty the, their pockets with the money that two of them was in a Greg and Willie uh, was in my saw, driving my saw. And they hadn't even been staying in Gainesville uh, maybe a, a month and a half was that long, you know. And uh, anyway, they were so sure that this, those were the guys that was uh, selling or filtering drugs to the uh, University of Florida athletes. And uh, they took us, they uh, pulled me, arrested me, driving us. They let them go. They had 300 and some dollars. They took, they had them laying down on the road and they uh, took pictures of the money to 300, 300 and some dollars that they had. And they let them go, you know. And, uh, Anyway, I guess some months later, they uh, I'm driving my saw, and they pulled me. They they pulled me in my saw, and uh, this the uh, city police department of Gainesville, and they held me outside of my car for maybe almost hour and a half or two hours, and so I'm trying to determine what you know what are they apprehending me for you know, and they could never tell me they. Just say, uh, we don't know yet. And so I'm standing outside of my car, and I guess maybe about two hours later, they finally put me in a police car, you know, city of Gainesville police car. And uh, they come over to the car, and I ask them, what what am I arrested for? Because they went all through my car, you know. And they say, it looks like sales of cocaine. And so, you know, I knew... You know, that was uh, some uh, fabricated uh, charge, you know, because I n- didn't sell nobody any cocaine, you know. And so uh, 
anyway, they took me down to the uh, the city police department, and uh, they had me in a room, and I guess maybe uh, two hours, uh, hour and a half to two hours later, uh, a officer came in there with the blue jeans and, you know, uh, Western-style boots and all of that, and then he says to me, oh, this, this is what you look like. This, that's what you look like, you know. If you tell me what we want to know, you know, uh, the agent, he'll be here soon, the DEA agent. If you tell us what we want to know, you can walk right out of here. But if you don't, you're going to be in here for the rest of your life, you know, primarily. And uh, he started asking me about various persons. And I didn't know, the, you know, ones he was asking about, you know. And uh, he said, oh, you want to be a smart ass, and, you know. So uh, he said, well, we'll we'll see that you never get out of jail. So later on, the agent came, and they took me down to the post office, and, you know, and had me in the post office. I guess that's where the, uh, the you know, federal court, you know, system set. As I'm sitting in there, you know, they uh, continuously question me, and, uh, you know, I didn't. I couldn't answer the things that they wanted. They was asking me, you know. So uh, they took me to a magistrate hearing the next day, and eventually took me to uh, the uh, Lachaway County Jail, where they held me for a little while, and then eventually they took me to a jail maybe 30 miles out from there, in uh, Hamilton or uh, more longer, Hamilton County Jail in Jasper, Florida. And uh, as I'm sitting out there, they eventually bring one of my cousins out there also. And so they got us in the uh, the jail, Terry. They bring Terry Reed there, my first cousin. And they got us in the jail, but they got him in a different cell. But they bring, I guess maybe uh, a few days later, I call home and my sister tells me they got us all over the newspaper involving the University of Florida athletes, saying that we were selling drugs to the uh, the basketball players there at the University of Florida, Vernon Maxwell and all of them, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, they made this story hit the snooze, and it was in every newspaper primarily around the country, you know. And the uh, lawyers were saying that it was a classic case and all of this stuff, you know, the St. Petersburg, paper ran the probe and all of this stuff. And uh, also many, as a matter of fact, I got art, numerous articles now. And uh, they, about, um, uh, they ran all these articles primarily continuously about it. So finally, as the trial got rid of why no, I tell you what, they eventually gave us a witness list. And the witness list had, I know a couple guys that was, uh, they placed him in the cell with me. They brought him from prison. And they placed him in the cell with me to try to identify, you know, so that they could make uh, a positive identification of me or fabricate an identification of me. Right. And they did placed you, him did in you the know cell. or recognize any of the guys? No, no, I didn't recognize them. What happened was they called, you know, during the rope, they brought him in late at night on, you know, around, I guess maybe. 12 or 1 o'clock at night, you know, the marshals or, or whoever it was, they brought him in there and they put him specifically in the cell with me. 
so that they could see who I was or hear my name, and then they'll be able to fabricate a story against me. And so, uh, anyway, the next day the officers come through and do a uh, roll call, and I happen to hear the names. And I looked on the, my list. I say these are the same uh, two of the same guys that they got on the uh, the witness list, you know. And so I called my lawyer, and my lawyer, and told my lawyer what I had just experienced. And he said, "Are you sure?" I said, "Yes, sir. I'm extremely positive." He said, "I tell you what, you call me back in a, about an hour, and uh, I guess maybe fifteen minutes later." They got the guy, the two guys, and took them out of there. And uh, I didn't see them anymore until uh, I went to trial. And they came in there and testified against me, the same guy, you know. And uh, they said that, uh, I think one of them said that he seen me with drugs or got some drugs from me or something to that extent, you know. And uh, they had... They never got anything from me, you know. And uh, I come to find out, they said that they uh, dropped, one of the guys had escape charges and uh, drug charges and all and weapon charges, and they dropped all of that so that he could testify against me. But anyway, uh, too, as the trial went on, you know, as we got ready to go to trial, the reporters was outside of the courtroom, numerous of reporters from everywhere. And all of them, they took, as we got off the marshal's van, they jumped from behind the van and took pictures of us, you know. And uh, when they had handcuffed together, me and my uh, two co-defendants together, they uh, had us on the front page of the newspaper the following day. And uh, the judge informed the reporters told them that they could leave because they didn't expect any of the, uh, the athletes to te- testify against us. So um, he issued a gag order also. Hmm. And uh, we found out the reason why he didn't expect any of the athletes to testify against us because they had the wrong persons in custody, right. me and my cousin. And now... What they had to do, they had to go and grab guys out of the jails, I mean, out of the prisons and stuff to uh, make a create a case because they had done put us all in the media and the possibility that we were going to, uh, they thought that we were going to sue them for false arrest and all of this stuff. So now they had to create a case by cut deals with guys in prison because all the guys that testified against me came from prison. Because so, because because the athletes, um, you know, if they if they point to you and say this guy sell you drugs, they don't have any incentive to say yeah yeah that was him. They're not holding anything over them. They're, they're not you know they're not in prison. They don't have any uh, any time that that can be taken off their sentence. So they could be truthful and say no, that's not the guy. No, see the thing was is that they had the wrong guys. The wrong the guy that he would, we found out. A year after we were convicted, almost a year after we got convicted, they indicted the ones, Ice and the other guys that they right. were talking about. Right, right. And uh, they had Ronald Maxwell 
came along in that trial and said the ice that he was talking about, speaking of, is the, he went to school with him. They were the best of friends. And those other guys. And so they had the wrong guys. We were the wrong guys. You know, wrong person. And uh, they indicted, I think it was nine or ten guys in that case with them that was affiliated with the University of Florida. And they had the wrong, we were the wrong person. Hey Rufus, I'm, I'm gonna gonna pause your story for for a minute here and uh, introduce Amy Pova, who has joined us. Of course, Amy has been on the podcast before to share her own story uh, of injustice that she uh, that she went through, and also to talk about uh, the Can Do Foundation, um, the great uh, work she's doing to to work for for clemency for for many people. And uh, you know, over the course of the past several several weeks here, there's been a a lot of people, including uh, obviously yourself, Rufus, getting out um, on uh, either compassionate release or um, home confinement like yourself. So, Amy, welcome back to Felony Friday. Oh, thank you, John. And um, just listening to Rufus's story, which is an important story, reminds me and should be alarming to everyone who does not understand that our drug conspiracy laws are so convoluted and it it makes it impossible to prove your innocence because it becomes a free-for-all of people who are incentivized to embellish their testimony, to make up um, quantities, to uh, accuse people of things that they may or may not have done, it's almost impossible to um, defend yourself against allegations. And I don't think the public is very well aware of the fact that so many people that we are trying to help who are in prison are convicted on what's referred to as ghost dope and um, testimony only. They no longer need tangible evidence to support a guilty verdict in the form of audio recordings or video or in the long time ago, they used to wear a wire on people. They used to do a controlled buy. Now it's just people who will take a witness stand and point the finger at you. And that should really be chilling to so many people who need to understand that there's not a whole lot of protection between you and a prison cell. Absolutely, and uh, so, so Rufus, after after going through this this trial, this experience, and having this happen to you, um, you know, you get your sentence read out. What uh, you know, what, what was going through through your mind at, at that point in time? What kind of what kind of state were you in? You know, because you know, as, as Amy previously stated, you know, it's you know one of the most difficult things there is is trying to challenge. Uh, something that's not there, you know, mm-hmm. because there's no drugs there, you know, there's nothing uh, concrete there, you know, and uh, you chasing a ghost, you know, because there's ghost drugs, you know, and so if you bring a uh, uh, investigator, you bring a forensic in there, you know, and get them to make a determine what percentage of the drugs is crack cocaine, as I'm being in there, and crack cocaine being uh, you're being punished a hundred times more severe than powder cocaine, then you're not 
able to make a determination, neither. And then what's so ironic about this situation, the prosecutor, uh, Lindy Padgett, she's the assistant U.S. attorney during that time frame, they brought one guy in uh, during the, uh, you know, from prison, and uh, they brought him, you know, he testified against me. And so they wanted to get a clarification from this, this guy uh, in terms of what he stated because they had something, various things that was uh, conflicting, you know, you know what he, which he stated, you know. And uh, they, the attorney and the prosecutor, they got together and the judge, they wanted to bring him back up there on the stand for, on, in terms of redirect to get some clarification from him. And uh, after he testified again, uh, you know, they got uh, clarification, the uh, judge, I mean the prosecutor, Linda Padgett, asked Judge Maurice Paul, did she do a good job? And the judge stated to her, you did very well. We don't want to press our luck here. Hmm. You know, which is a clear case of collusion. You know, because it shows that they were in uh, collusion, with, uh, collusion with each other. You know, because the statement, the question, and the answer response that she that he gave her upon her question him, did she do a good job? You know, in terms of pursuing those questions and answers in, against me. You know, so it was a no-win situation. Everything primarily was set up, you know. And then uh, even when, uh, you know, with the uh, jurors, when you found guilty in the court of law, you know, there's a reason why they don't have the jurors present during the sentencing phase, you know. And because... If the, the jurors had checked, which they checked the verdict form for 50 grams, you know, right within the 50 gram range, which I would have got sentenced or supposed to have gotten sentenced for 50 grams of crack cocaine, you know. But they seen where 50 grams wouldn't have gave me the type of sentence that I received. So what they did was they came through the back door. When the, during the sentencing phase with the judge, the prosecutors, the uh, agents, and the uh, probation and parole uh, officer, they are present. And the juror is not present because had the juror been present during that particular phase of the uh, sentencing phase, what I got sentenced for, they would have objected to that, contested that, because the fact is, they sentenced me to 24 kilos of crack cocaine. That primarily gave me a death sentence, which, you know, this is what really, you know, that's why I how, was how in much prison is, How much is 24 decades. kilos of crack cocaine? That's, At that's, that's 24,000 grams of crack cocaine. At a hundred to one ratio, in reference to powder cocaine. The, in other words, the penalty is 100 to 1 more mm -hmm. severe than powder cocaine, you know. And uh, that way, that's why it took almost 32 years, three decades plus, to get out of prison. 
You know, in other words, because I didn't take an eight-year plea, they decided to crucify me with this 400 and plus months, you know, behind bars. And that's what they do because they don't want the jury present because the jury, they sentence you for everything that the jury didn't find you guilty of. That's where you, the punishment comes in. And that's why so many men and women are in hell in prison with these life sentences, two life sentences, 40, 50 years and more because of that type of scenario that's going on in the courts behind closed doors when the, the juror's not present. So yes. I went come in at the age of uh, 37 years old when I left out of prison, I'm 68 years old now. You know, I'd be 69 this year, October. You know, and they gave me $180 when I walked out of exited the, uh, the prison. Wow. And I got a brother that's sitting up in there with two life sentences right as I speak, you know. And his first time in prison, he come in a hefty person. He come in at the age of 27. And now he's 58 years old, Richard Williams. And uh, he's a, he was an honor student in school, Mr. Football, and often helped so many kids. He helped them with the homework. He would, did everything. He would have gave a person the shirt off his back, you know. And uh, they gave him, now he's in a wheelchair, you know. And, uh, you know, so out of 30 years, 30 plus years, I was only worth $180 when I walked out of prison, exit the prison gate, you know. You know, and I did numerous of uh, things to help people while I was in there, fundraisers for Katrina victims. I helped get a young war prosthetic guy, you know, from behind bars. A wow. uh, young lady that was a popular radio disc jockey there in Orlando, uh, 102 Jams. Uh, she died having her first daughter, little kid. And uh, she never got a chance to hold her kid because she her blood pressure went up. And she died from aneurysm. And I got with the warden at the prison and uh, put together a... Uh, trust fund for her daughter and raised 1700 and some dollars and put it in her daughter's trust fund and uh, requested to do a memorial service at the prison for uh, Don Blackstock, they call her Breaker Don. She used to come to various programs and uh, doing the uh, re-entry programs, which I helped put together for the uh, inmates and so forth. You know, those are just a few of the things, you know. Mm-hmm. But I let Amy elaborate on some of the things, you know, you know, because I don't like to speak of the things I did, you know, because all of the things that I did was through the grace of God, you know. Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out 
my man Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards Freeing Ross Ulbricht. So please check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide. New slave play, but they barely pay you. Don't care about work ethic or major. All right, another quick little break here. I want to tell you about an awesome podcast from another supporter of our show named The Scarif Scuttlebutt. I know, it's a strange name, but sometimes that's good. Sticks in the mind, sticks in the craw. So anyway, when you're not listening to the Best Libertarian podcast, there's some other things out there. I know a lot of you are into sci-fi. I am into sci-fi. I do enjoy Star Wars, and this is a no-shill Star Wars podcast. So they talk about everything from the books to the movies to television to video games. They do deep dives into the saga, not just skimming on the surface to really get in there. So they talk about topics such as politics, propaganda, and even fate versus free will as well in the context of this saga spinning off from that to have really fascinating conversations. They're not afraid to speak their minds. That much I would know, and you should know if they're supporters of this podcast. So again, you can find them on Twitter, at Scarif Podcast, that's S-C-A-R-I-F Podcast, or, of course, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. So, so a- Amy, Rufus mentioned before that, that his case is, is one of the oldest um, crack cocaine cases like that, um, being sentenced to that, that amount of time from 19, 1988, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So w- w- when did you first hear Rufus's case, Amy? Oh, Rufus reached out to me, um, actually called me. In fact, I think I was in D.C. for some event the first time that he called and um, asked me if I, uh, if the Can Do Foundation would um, advocate on his behalf. And I first tried to beg off. I said, oh, my God. I said, you know, we've stopped taking cases. We're overwhelmed. And He is so gracious, and I do have to give Rufus props for um, some of the stories he just shared because Rufus has done more for complete strangers while he was behind bars than many people who are free do for their own family members. And I really want that to, to sink in to your audience because this is not a man whoever needed to serve a single day behind bars. This is a good man with a good heart who has done so many wonderful things. And he asked me to help John Bolin. So I I, um, communicated with him. And then Rufus was just so persistent. He really would just call back and inquire how I was doing. And he endeared himself so much. He was just such a good person that I I was like, okay, you know, (laughs) we're going to put you on the can-do website. We're going to go all in. And then from then on, um, Rufus uh, would call at least every week, 
sent cards to my mother who is terminally ill, had everybody on the compound sign the cards. I can't tell you how many cards he sent to her. He'd get on the phone talking to her to try to make her feel better. This is a beautiful soul. And I want people to understand this is who we're locking up in this country. It's just not right. And something has got to change drastically. 100% agree with that. Um, And, you know, that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I do this show, because people just... These stories have to get out there. These, these individuals, you know, people like Rufus, um, everyday Americans need to hear, hear their heart and uh, what they've been through. And I mean, it's what I was reading prior to the interview. I, I was reading the, you know, the write up on all the things that that you've done while in prison, Rufus, and it, it, it just it, it blows you away, really. So that's, that's it, yeah, I lost, I lost, uh, you know, both. My parents and uh, my my uh, my dad. He was a pastor, you know. Doing the, uh, you know, he raised me. You know, he was my stepfather, but he was just like a father. He was he was the father. He uh, he was a pastor during the whole time he ministered. He never took a salary, you know. And uh, he uh, he was that even when I got sentenced, you know, he couldn't. He couldn't believe I was being uh, sentenced because, you know, he questioned uh, in terms of the drugs, What you know, because I was in the process of getting married during that time frame, you know. And uh, my only daughter was born uh, while I was in prison, you know, and never had a chance to spend a day with her outside of uh, the visiting room, you know, in prison. And, uh, you know, even when I left prison, I walked out the uh, gate, the staff, and, uh, you know, there was out there, certain ones were standing out there around my family. You know, to see me walk out, they even shed a tears, you know, seeing me leave. Well, I'd like to add, John, we we really need to all try to lift up uh, Rufus's brother now, Rick, who I don't know if Rufus mentioned that he's in a wheelchair and he's a first offender. We're waiting on some paperwork from him. It hasn't come in the mail yet, which is disturbing. But um, and Rufus only has home confinement. He still has to serve out the rest of his sentence wearing an ankle monitor, but we do have his petition over at the White House and are quite confident that he's in a good position to get clemency. We just don't know when when that's going to happen after the pandemic and um, uh, the civil disobedience um, that's been going on in the nation. It seems like clemency may have gone to the back burner. We certainly hope not, but um, we have to keep lifting up people like Rufus's brother and so many others like people we have on the website, because these are good people who are just being warehoused. This isn't punishment. This is um, a slave labor trade. It's cruel. It's um, it, to me, it's a humanitarian violation and we all need to work together to bring these people home. Yeah, it's certainly not 
corrections. It's supposed to be. It's, that's what it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be corrections. You're supposed to go in there and uh, come out um, rehabilitated, re- rehabilitated, and ready to contribute to society. But so often, um, you're just people are just beaten down in there. How can you be rehabilitated when they? gave so many people life sentences, which means no parole. And also they expect people to come out after they're unemployable at 50, 60, 70. And Mm -hmm. how are people supposed to build up their life again and have a pension or a retirement fund? It's um, no, they're crippling people. And we were considered disposable. I don't know if people really followed the timeline, but no, no sooner did we end the Cold War with Russia than the Reagan-Bush administration resurrected the old drug war. So this nation is always at war because it's profitable and the budgets have to keep going for the big war machine, which includes mm-hmm. every agency under the sun. And um, I just think the timing was, was interesting that uh, we have a history of this country is always being at war. We're always at war with someone, even when we declare it against our own citizens. Yes, yeah, exactly right. We're that's exactly what we're doing. We're at war with our own citizens. It's 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 sick. Um, Rufus, I, I want to uh, give you the chance to uh, you know share anything else uh, that you want to about about your experience or, or about uh, you know what, what it's been like to to be home now for for. Two months, going on two you know, months. I had an opportunity, uh, you know, uh, a few weeks after I was out, you know, uh, to speak to Congress also, you know. I spoke to, uh, are you there? Hello. Yeah, yeah. yeah I spoke yeah. to uh, the uh, top congressmen uh, there in Washington, uh, you know, in terms of the, uh, the uh, epidemic, you know, the corona epidemic and... Uh, how long I've been in prison, you know, and uh, also, you know, and uh, they found it very difficult to uh, believe that I had been in all those years, you know, sitting in there, because a lot of the uh, even serial killers would have beat that possibly beat me out of there, you know, out of prison, you know. And had I, you know, had people, ones like Amy, if they wouldn't have came to my aid, then I would have been a forgotten soul, you know, primarily, you know. And, uh, you know, because being in there for a period of time, you like forgotten, you know. And because even you look at the ones that's coming here now, they're, a lot of them are, is getting out. And then the ones that's been in there for a period of time, it's like they overlook, you know. Uh, forgotten, you know. It's like they're in a cemetery, buried in the far back, you know, and uh, and completely forgotten. And uh, thank God for Amy, you know, because she came in there and then she made it known that uh, you all have forgotten Rufus in here, you know. He's still in prison behind bars, you know. And then uh, once she brought to the... Uh, you know, uh, enlighten others that I was still in here. Then numerous of people start saying, you know, now is the time to help this man get out of prison, you know. Because I tell you, you know, I, I, I can't thank her enough, you know, because she's really been there 24-7.
and she stayed in contact with my family to let them know the things that she's doing to, to get me out of prison. If it wasn't for her right now, I wouldn't be out of prison right now. I would have probably been uh, one of the ones that's uh, buried in the sand in prison right now in, in one of those rooms locked in, just like doing with other men and women as I speak tonight. And, you know, they only gave me $180, as I stated, when I left prison, you know. And, uh, you know, how long and how far is that going to take a man, you know, in there, you know, when you step out of there with 32 years almost inside of the prison, you know. Yeah, well, what do they expect unless you, uh, you know, unless you have support from your family right, to take care of you, give you a place to live? Right, and right. I'm sure yeah. not everyone does. Yes, and that you know, and that's that's a big advantage, you know, really, you know, for my sister, Cheryl uh, Bolden, and her husband Bob Bolden, you know, give me a place to stay, you know, here outside of Gainesville, you know, Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a it's a blessing, you know, and it's a blessing to have ones like I stated in reference to Amy. And uh, others that's uh, that's reaching out for men, speaking in my behalf because you know a lot of the men's and women's that's in those places don't have voices, you know, outside of the prison, you yeah. know. And I've been going out every night, primarily is uh, doing a Facebook live, you know, speaking for those men and women's that don't have a voice, you know. Every night, primarily since I left prison, doing their Facebook Live, you know, and speaking in reference to those many men and women that I left behind. Because before I, even when I left, they was telling me, Rufus, don't forget us. Come on, we need you to, to help us speak for us, man. You know, help us get out of here because we don't want to die in here from uh, the coronavirus, uh, you know. And uh, as I stated also, you know, not, you know, when you give a man a life sentence, you know, when a judge sentences a man to a life sentence, he's actually saying, I'm sentencing you to a death sentence. Because if you read their judgment commitment orders, you see on there where it says, continue until you cease. You know, so... That's, in so many words, you know, we, they don't want to tell their family that uh, they've been sentenced to a death sentence, you know, because if they don't get any support, they're going to die behind bars. They're going to die behind bars. I'm looking at many men. Uh, I've seen many men and, men and women during my tenure. There's uh, all you can look in their eyes and see is that, you know, because, you know, people look at them and they don't, you know, they're saying, well, he's going to die behind bars. And then not only is he doing time, his family is doing time as well. And that's why it's so important that the ones that's listening to me and uh, Amy and others on your radio station Come and uh, 
and support these young, those young men and uh, men and women that's incarcerated in these those prisons. Because when they're talking about uh, criminal justice reform, if they don't take prison as a priority mm-hmm. in terms of criminal justice reform, then they're not uh, doing anything. Because some of the same ones that you just seen over the past two weeks are some of the same ones that was involved in those same type of situations with men and women that's in these prisons, those prisons. And it's important that we get them out of prison. You know, it's extremely important that they support Amy Povick and with the Can Do Foundation. And it's important that they donate funds to help those organizations as well. You know, be able to help others to walk out of those prisons. And that's in closing. I appreciate each and everything that you all are doing to uh, help me and numerous others, you know, because it's not just about me. It's about so many other families and one that got a lot worse situation than mine. You know, did, did you have something fact, you wanted to say, Amy? Yeah, I, you know, Rufus is so humble. I would just like to say that it would be dishonest for me to take any credit for him coming home or any organization because Rufus, frankly, got Rufus out, the warden and the staff. I Now, if he gets clemency, I'll take credit for that <laughs> because I worked hard on his clemency petition and put it together and submitted it. But um, at the end of the day, I did see where the staff in his progress report, and I did communicate with his case manager, um, supported his clemency. I never see that. They put it right in there that they support um, his uh, relief for Rufus in the form of, they said, pardon. And, um, but he got home confinement because of the way he served his time. And I do believe that the staff there is very well aware of Rufus's character and who he is as a soul. And I think um, they uh, wanted to get him home and protected because of the person that he is. And that's a lesson to everybody who's in. I also would like to say that Rufus has a cash app um, he he could use some help. So if anybody wanted to help, um, there's um, he's on Facebook under Rufus Rochelle. And if anybody wants to reach out to ask how to support him, we would direct you to his cash app. But I, in closing, I would like to say that there are so many reentry organizations and there's millions and millions of dollars earmarked for reentry. But I honestly don't know where that money goes because everybody who comes home, we try to give $200 to uh, people just as a little helper, but uh, re-entry organizations, it, it just seems like it's being eaten up in salaries, office space, programs. These people have programmed them silly while, themselves silly while they are in prison. They don't need more programs. They need housing, jobs, a computer, a cell phone, a car and clothes. And I would like to see a reentry organization that helps provide those in the form of vouchers or some way that uh, people can team up and get a voucher for a computer from maybe the Bill Gates uh, Foundation. But there's so much that could be done that isn't being done for people like Rufus and everybody who's walking out who have, they've lost everything, 32 years. 
Rufus was in prison. Mm -hmm. That's shameful. But he has to build back. The families can't support these people day to day forever. Um, you know, everybody needs, especially after a pandemic and everything that's going on. So I would like to encourage that um, we somehow all work together to try to create a bridge for these people who are coming home. And Rufus is first on the list for anybody who wants to give. They, they should give directly to Rufus. And if, if we can get the, the link to, uh, to donate directly to Rufus, I can put it on the, the show notes page if we're able to do that. That'll be at lionsofliberty.com slash FF234. It's free. I can give it to you. It's, uh, it's one, you know, you get put the dollar bill sign mm-hmm. in front of Rufus, R-U-F-U-S, Rochelle, R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E. And you put 5151 behind Rochelle. It's a dollar bill sign in front of Rufus. Mm-hmm. And uh, R-U-F-U-S, Rochelle, R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E. And 5151 okay. at the end of that, Rochelle. And uh, you make both R's capital, Rufus okay. and Ro- Rochelle. The R and Rufus and the R and Rochelle Capital. And uh, okay, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll send you a, a message on Facebook with it to make sure I have it right before I put it in the uh, on the page. But, uh, but sure. before before I let you go, Rufus, um, any uh, any party words for uh, for my audience? Uh, you know, I appreciate each and every one of you. You know, this listening to this program it brings tears to my eyes. You know, really. You know, and uh, sitting here and, uh, you know, I got to do a Facebook Live tonight, you know, and speak to uh, many, you know, ones that listen to me. You know, I try to do that. Not only that, you know, I don't speak about prison every night. I speak about trying to keep uh, kids and families from going to prison, you know, rather than uh, a lot of ones that's already there. You know, I try to uh, keep families together as well, you know and supporting one another, you know. And in order to do that, we got to stay out of those places, too, you know. And uh, I appreciate each of you, and uh, I'm just uh, trying to to make things, you know, the best of the situation I'm in, you know. And that's what's important. And I I see, you know, it feels so good to be free. You know, it seems that... (laughs) I, just to look around and breathe fresh air and look out the uh, from beyond a wall, a razor wire fence, and it's a man. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yeah, and being trapped in a room, locked in a room, because we were locked down since uh, March the thirty first. March the thirty first. Until I even left in April the 24th. They still locked down right now, you know. So uh, just imagine an individual locked in those places like animals. And many men and women that deserve their freedom. And each time I go to sleep at night, it seems like part of me is still there because with the ones that I think about, like John Bolden and uh, 
my Richard William, my brother, and uh, numerous, so many others, I think, uh, in there with the three and four life centers. You know, there's, you know, you got women's in there. You know, I wrote an article even and uh, sent it to President Obama. It was entitled, it was about uh, a couple girls that was in uh, prison. Uh, one girl had 13 life sentences. And uh, the other young lady had uh, a life sentence also. And sometimes they sentence individuals, you know, when they give you all those life sentences, you know, that's overkill. <laughs> that's the overkill. And some you you're walking in around in prison, you wonder how a person could smile and laugh and be so humble with so much time. But those seem like the most humble ones there is, the ones that has all the time in there. And doing everything possible thing that they can do to get back out to prove that they could be a productive citizen. Because there's many of them in there that has the same personality as Rufus has. But the thing is, they deserve a second chance. A second chance. Mm -hmm. And I firmly feel within my heart that there's many men and women, if they got a second chance, they would be extremely productive and law-abiding if they just got their second chance. You know, just like I got a second chance. And closing, I thank you all, and I appreciate you all. And uh, I just got to keep fighting for others as well, too, you know. And I thank you for bringing me on your show. And uh, that's about as much as I can say. Thank you. God bless each of you for allowing me to come on this show and uh, for supporting me and listening to me. And uh, I look forward to coming back on your show eventually with uh, Amy once again. <laughs> you know, because she has been more than an advocate. She has been uh, angels sent from God, from so many men and women that's locked up in prison. And at the same time, why take care of the mother, you know, and, uh, you know, many, you know, don't know the situation she's going through with her mom, you know. And uh, I know the feeling because, you know, I went some sort through the same situation with my mom before she passed uh, not very long ago. You know, I lost my father, you know. And so it's it's a hard, hard area, you know. And so I want each of you to pray for a mother, you know, the healing of our mother, too. And uh, pray for Amy as well. Thank you. God bless you. Thank, thank you, Rufus, and, and God bless you. And thank uh, you. Just want to encourage uh, the people out there listening to uh, to go to the show notes page, lionsofliberty.com slash ff two thirty three, 
and consider uh, uh, donating to uh, to the Cash App link there. And I want to thank Amy Pova for for coming on the show and and everything that uh, that she does with the Can Do Foundation and. And hopefully we can we can have Rufus back on here when Rufus gets his clemency, and maybe uh, also when you know other others that uh, Amy is advocating for, and one of them being Rufus's brother. Hopefully um, they get clemency as well. So I think there's bright bright days ahead, and uh, this system and this uh, injustice has to change. Um, it just has to. It it can't go on. So so thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to today's show, another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride you can do that by going to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lines of liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at lines of liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.